Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. A fantastic start to the season for United with a 5-1 demolition of Leeds in front of a packed out Old Trafford crowd. Bruno Fernandes hat-trick, Paul Pogba four assists and if that wasn't good enough, we've got Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall on the <laughs> podcast as well. Uh, good, good afternoon to you both, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very good, thanks Dom. I didn't even mention the Raphael Varane announcement as well, which would have stolen the show on any other day if United hadn't have completed such a, a swashbuckling victory, Samuel. Um, as opening days go, this was just about as good as it gets for United, wasn't it? It was It was tremendous. Uh, certainly the best opening day they've had at Old Trafford since the Fulham game 15 years ago. The, the atmosphere on an opening day probably the best I've experienced in, in my lifetime at United. That that Fulham win was was tremendous when you had Ronaldo and Rooney in full flight just after the World Cup, but you're not really going to generate an atmosphere with, with Fulham fans in the away section. It's a, a different kettle of fish altogether when you've got 3,000 Leeds fans from, from Yorkshire stood there. But, I mean, I, I feel a bit daft for predicting 2-2 when it ends up 5-1. And I think for all the pre-match build-up, looking at how how fit a side leads are, how intense leads are. Ultimately, if if we, we said it before after the Roma uh, game in, in April, I think it was that if Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba play well, you're not just going to win, you're going to win handsomely. And you know, both of them were, were tremendous. They, they, they complemented each other so well. Um, just looking at the team beforehand, obviously there was a bit of surprise that Fred and McTominay were starting after having uh, so little play timing Play t- playing time in pre-season. I think we all suspected Pogba was going to start. But although Pogba lined up on the left or the tactical team, she would have had him on the left. He, he doesn't play there. He's he's given a free role. Um, he's allowed to roam around. And you saw him do that with the goals. Fernandez is a much more urgent runner than Pogba. So he's always going to get forward a lot more quickly. Pogba's got the pos- has got the um the vision to provide him with with those passes and so you've got two midfield eights there who can complement each other as as perfectly as they did on Saturday it was just it was it was brilliant football to watch Mason Greenwood didn't have the numbers to match to match Fernandez or Pogba but his his performance certainly did i thought he was he was magnificent um I would take him up front over Anthony Marshall any day of the week. I don't know why anyone would have Anthony Marshall up front ahead of Greenwood. I know it's the first game that he's played there uh, this season. Just one game, you can always, you know, it can always be a knee-jerk reaction to say that. But he's so much more urgent. He's so much tougher, uh, more robust, quicker. Um, he's got more in his locker as well. It, it was just an innovative use of Greenwood, and he, he's he's been a joy to watch all year. I think he's had a really really good. 2021 so far and it looks like he's only going to get even better you know that probably maybe maybe just one bad individual performance that isn't worth spending too much time dwelling on but there was there were so many excellent individual performances I thought Lindelof had a terrific game as well which um, just goes to show what signing a, a better centre-back can do and yeah United's the top at the moment they've scored a hell of a lot of goals uh, they took their foot off the gas even they, they went easy on Leeds in the last 20 minutes so with the Varane announcement it just set the tone for what was a pretty uplifting and focused day and it was close to perfection really take, take the Leeds goal out of it and it was perfection but I suppose some United fans would say that if if Ailing doesn't score that goal. It's not quite as euphoric when Greenwood makes it 2-1, when Fernandez makes it 3-1 and then gets his hat-trick. 
Yeah, it was a very good goal by Luke Ayling as well. So maybe that even added to it, like you say, Samuel. Uh, it was interesting, Tyro, maybe that the team that was playing for one reason or another, mainly fitness for Sancho's case and obviously the fact that the Varane deal hadn't gone through in time. It was very much a, a last season team that Solskjaer put on the pitch. The McFred access, as people as people like to call it, McFred access in midfield. Daniel James obviously starting, Lindelof at the back. I guess a few of those many fans have been clamouring to see out of the team and replaced by new signings. But was this a, a sort of a, an affirmation really of where United actually were at the end of last season and they weren't too far away from the top and and maybe those signings can take them to the next level. Yeah, and it's worth remembering as well that this a team very similar to this also thrashed Leeds at Old Trafford last season with the McFred access and, and the same kind of setup and Daniel James playing a, a big role. So it's, you know, United did have Leeds' number last year and they've had it again at Old Trafford and exposed them pretty pretty ruthlessly. And Leeds evidently haven't heard, haven't learned from that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny what Sammy was saying. We were, we were kind of talking in the week and saying it felt like a banana skin from a pure, purely fitness point of view. It felt to me like Leeds were the worst possible opponents on day one when United have had quite a disruptive pre-season. Obviously, that shows I don't know what I'm talking about, but they coped with it pretty admirably, the, the lack of fitness. And just like they were last year, they, they were stronger and, and better than Leeds all over the pitch. And, you know, that that's, it, it, you're right that that team last year finished second in the league and... They were 10 points behind City in the end, but they were in the title race aside from basically a mad month, a mad six weeks in in January and February and they just threw it away. So there wasn't loads of ground to make up. They've beaten a team they thrashed last year. It's a phenomenal way to start and they'll obviously get better for the introduction of of Varane and Sancho. We might see a change in midfield setup with Varane coming in. I don't think we were ever going to see that with with Lindelof and Maguire there. I, I think there's a reason that Varane's addition might might see the midfield setup change and, and become a bit more aggressive. But, it, you know, it was the perfect way to start. And it was a reminder that as much as, I mean, if anything, it shows the expectations now, because this is a team that finished second last year, that are capable of thrashing leads twice in a row at home, and that have now added two more world-class players to their team. So it shows the expectation that those two come in. This should be a team that is in the title race until late April, May at the very least. Yeah, that Varane announcement in itself, Samuel, seemed like a, a bit of a PR masterstroke from United. I know there was a lot of frustration in the week before the game, in the weeks before the game, really, that the deal hadn't been uh, officially announced and him unveiled. I know they said that they completed it, complete, they'd agreed a fee at least, but it felt like a very nice way to end that frustration among fans by getting them out on the pitch and maybe re- reward the match-going fans who've who've not obviously not been there for some time. And it, it was like it was a lovely moment, really, even before the game got going. It was quite exciting, even from a journalistic perspective. I got wind that it was going to happen. Two people contacted me, nobody who works for the club, obviously, saying that United wanted to announce him. The other one said that they were looking to announce him on the on the pitch. And then about quarter past 12, I think it was, there was a message sent to us journalists who, who cover United confirming that the deal had finally been completed. And there was nothing on Twitter. There was nothing on, on Facebook in terms of United's official channels. And you could see Rio Ferdinand hanging back. And it was all very very deliberate and we knew what was coming but it was still a hell of a roar when when it did happen and it was pretty apt that Ferdinand was there uh I remember about crikey it was 
probably nearly five and a half years ago or just over five years ago, writing about Varane and how Ferdinand was his boyhood idol. This was a period where Mourinho was just coming in and Varane certainly seemed like a, an attainable target or certainly a target. United have liked him institutionally for years, but um, Varane you know, looked up to Ferdinand when he was a kid. So having Ferdinand there on the sidelines to, to greet him to the club was was a nice touch as well. Um, it, it, you know, again, it knocks out knocks out some stage-managed piano-playing nonsense out of the park every day of the week. I think United really did jump the shark with some of their transfer announcements, with the, the Pogba Stormzy trailer, the, the, the Sanchez piano uh, playing being the absolute nadir of it. And I think under Sol- during Solskjaer's time, they, those those announcements have been pretty low-key in comparison to those ones where they, they were looking for as many uh, impressions and likes and clicks as as possible. I think with the Pogba announcement, it was that that was like at midnight or one in the morning. It was at silly o'clock. It, it made there was no rhyme or reason to it. And you the, the intent there was clear. They were marketing the move to to an overseas audience. But with all due respect to overseas United fans, of which there are many and they're very, uh, very committed, but Parading a new signing at the stadium in front of matchgoers is, is is on a different level altogether, and they've they've not done it very often. I, I was I was racking my brains. I think maybe the last player who had that privilege was Diego Forlan, who I think came on at half time during a game with with Liverpool. So you're going back nearly twenty years. I, I honestly can't remember any other signing who hadn't yet played for the club but, but was paraded in front of the supporters. And of course there was that. It was a bit eerie in that when Brian Robson, who was probably the most famous example of being a signing parade on the, on the pitch when he actually signed these cotton tracks before the Wolves game, Sammy McElroy then went on and scored a hat-trick in that game. And then on Saturday, we had Bruno Fernandes scoring a hat-trick for United. Yeah, well, you brought me nicely onto the next point there, actually, because I was going to go a bit more into Fernandes's performance and, and exactly how good it was. I mean, there's a lot of criticism of Fernandes, mainly of it from rival fans, Penandes, he only scores penalties and, and everything like that. Tyrone, I know he did finish the season probably quite in quite difficult form and didn't have the best Euros, but this is the Fernandes that United have come to know now ever since he, he came from Sporting Lisbon. And there is a sense that he could be reaching a real peak this season and he could be the driving force, let alone these new signings. He could be the driving force behind a, a title challenge. Yeah, and I mean, he, he's been United's driving force since January 2020, really. Um I mean, I think he scored one goal in front of a full Old Trafford before Saturday. I think he only played, I think it was only his fifth game in front of a capacity crowd at Old Trafford. It's incredible to think how little United fans had, had seen of him. And I did enjoy Harry Maguire's line on his Instagram when he uh, replied to his picture of his match ball and said, three great penalties, mate. And, um, you know, we have come to expect that people rib him for, for only scoring penalties. But this would evidence of, of what more he could do. I thought it was striking that, I mean, all of the goals were, were from closer in than a penalty spot. It's not a hat-trick of... I mean, he still classes a midfielder, but in the 4-2-3-1, he's not a midfielder. He's basically a, a number 10 uh, at worst. And, you know, Solskjaer was asked by MUTV maybe midway through last season, maybe early last season, about him breaking records as a goal-scoring midfielder. And Solskjaer just scoffed and went, midfielder, he plays up front. And in that system, he really does. And you could see the three goals are all similar and that he was the most advanced runner. He was the one making a run beyond the defence. All three finishes were from within 12 yards and it was the hat-trick you'd expect of a centre-forward rather than a midfielder. A midfielder's got a hat-trick, you'd expect one or two from distance, but but they weren't. And his his record is is absolutely phenomenal, better than a goal every other game. And I think it's it's going to be interesting 
we talk about this 4-3-3 and how Solskjaer's considering changing formation. It'd be interesting to see how that affects Fernandez because the 4-2-3-1 is very much built around him being a number 10, getting him very close to goal, playing him right next to the centre forward, getting him in those goal scoring positions and positions where he can influence play. And in a 4-3-3, you know, you look at maybe how City do it or even how Portugal looks, it's probably a better example. You almost have two number eights rather than a number 10. And that's going to drag him further away from, from goal. I guess if United are playing weaker opposition, it can be a bit more cavalier. But you know, Portugal play a 4-3-3 and, and Fernandes hasn't had anywhere near the same success for Portugal. I think he's got four goals and three assists in, in 30-odd caps. He dropped out of the team during the Euros. It's, that's not a team built around him and he doesn't have the same sort of impact. So I think it's uh, as much as we'd like... Sometimes a bit harsh to say on, on McFred, but as much as we'd like to see a 4-3-3 on more occasions and maybe Pogba and Fernandez as, as number eight or Van der Beek and Fernandez as number eight, the caveat is that you don't want to diminish Fernandez's role and, and playing as a number eight, I'm not sure he can have he can make the runs that he did on, on Saturday to get into those goal scoring positions. Because if you would have taken you know, if someone hadn't watched United, say if someone had decided, all right, behind closed doors games, not interested, not watching. And then return to Old Trafford for the first time in 18 months and watch Fernandez play. They'd probably think he was a striker. And just looking at his goals, if you ask someone who doesn't know how he plays to look at his goals, you'd say, oh yeah, centre forward scored that hat-trick just from the runs he's making. So, you know, he, he's a key player in that in that number 10. It'll be interesting to see how his role develops this season. But there's no doubt for all for all the signings, I think he remains United's key man. He was the one that, that kick-started the revolution 18 months ago. And he remains, despite the fact they've signed bigger name players since then, despite the fact they've got the best out of Pogba since then, I think everyone still knows that at the moment, Fernandez is is probably still United's most important player. Yeah, what's your take on, on the, the formation debate, Samuel? I know 4-3-3 has been trailed a lot and there's, there's a lot of talk about United only playing with one defensive midfielder. I guess the, the modern, the boring answer is that they need different systems and different ways of playing against different teams, but we'll try not to be boring. We'll try and talk about what United's best 11 should be and the best formation should be. 4-2-3-1 still seems like the best option, really, doesn't it, to get the best out of the key players? I'd imagine so. And sometimes it's just as simple as two midfielders speaking to each other and one saying, I'm going to go forward now. Would you mind just sticking around here and holding the four or the other saying it when, when there's another attack going on, if you've got two players capable of that? And I suppose with, with McTominay, I mean, a lot of people, including myself, were surprised he started at the weekend because he, he had been injured in pre-season. And when he came on against Everton, I think he played at centre-back next to, to Nzibi. So it was pretty. It was just all about minutes, that that appearance for him. Whereas Matic started the game, came off at half-time, had a full pre-season. He's the only defensive midfielder in the squad who's a specialist at it anyway. And he was fully, everyone just fully expected him to start. But McTominay, Fred and Fernandez has been a, pretty trusted trio for for Solskjaer that the losing ratio of those those three players is really really low I remember writing about that I think when McTominay and Fred I think it was the Villa goal last season they were both culpable for that uh, at Villa Park and you identified even in a game that United won that they needed to improve in that area and I don't think that McTominay and Fred are going to be starting as many games in the league as they did last season necessarily but at at the moment, it doesn't look like United will sign a midfielder in the summer. And I don't know why fans, there seems to be an air of expectation that they will sign a midfielder just because every midfielder under the sun has been linked uh, with the club, which the club can't control at all. But the reality of the situation is that 
they've not sold anyone so far. They've invested 115.9 million in two players. There were 100, around 150 million pounds of losses during the, the games where they were played behind closed doors. Financially, the you know there's no reality there. I know some clubs are spending a hell of a lot of money um, and, and maybe feel emboldened by financial fair play rules being a bit more relaxed. But United have to be realistic with it, and so that has to that that means the manager has to look to uh, solutions from within. And that they've they've got a lot of options there. They've got six midfielders really nobody's counting Andreas Pereira nobody's counting James Garner you expect one to be sold you expect the other to be loaned Fernandez, I always just refer to him as a forward pretty much even though he's pretty much part of that sextet of midfielders that United have available there he, he is always the 10 that is non-negotiable and the way they played at the weekend was was fascinating because he, he did accommodate Pogba and Fernandez, but he didn't accommodate it in the way I think a lot of United fans would have liked to what they hope will come this season from a 4-3-3. They want to see Sancho and Greenwood either side of Cavani or I don't know how many want to see Marshall in the team at the moment, but I imagine some do. But they, they want a more orthodox approach to it when it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, that way most a lot of the time. And you know, Van der Beek did pretty well against Everton, but I, I do think there's a fundamental issue that Solskjaer has there in that he just wasn't a first choice signing and if he's not going to get in the team having had a, a reasonable preseason and come back before Pogba then again I, I stand by my point I, th- I think he'll only ever truly thrive at United if or when Pogba goes but when you've got Fernandes and Pogba who are two world-class players you've got to try and get them in the team somehow when Sancho's at his optimum uh, fitness wise he has to be in the team because of the investment I think Greenwood has to be in the team because he's just such a brilliant player so then it's what you do with the other roles and I suppose the interesting thing about the weekend and what Solskjaer was saying afterwards was that last season certainly the second half of it they settled on that fixed striker role mainly because Marshall was so bad and Cavani was so good in the last two months of the season. But at the weekend, it was different. It was almost as if they were playing in a strikerless formation. So the way he's using, or certainly at the weekend, the way he used the midfielders had a knock-on effect on the way he used the striker in the in uh, Saturday's case, Greenwood, because Greenwood didn't really play as a striker. Um, he's he's filled out a lot. He's He's more physically robust, but his strength is in the dribbling. It's dropping deep. And, and Leeds just didn't get a hold of him whatsoever. I, I was amazed at how porous Leeds were, given that they got wiped by United 6-2 last December. I thought they'd be a lot more secure. They did miss Calvin Phillips, uh, as, as you'd expect them to. But United have just got options galore, and that's without factoring in the players who are missing at the weekend. Cavani was missing, Rashford was missing, uh, Sancho was on the bench. It's... You know, it's such an enviable position to be in. And and I think in the case of Rashford, I don't think there'll be a single game during this run where he's absent that anyone will look at United, whatever the result, and say they really missed Rashford today because his form has been that bad this season and also because the options they've got are so enviable that they can easily offset his absence. Pogba's playing on the left at the moment and you could probably name five players you'd expect to play on the left wing um, ahead of Pogba but it's not always the case and sometimes that element of surprise can work to your advantage as it did on Saturday. 
Yeah, like you say, so many options at the moment, even with, with Rashford missing and with other players yet to come back. And I know that some are returning for pre-season or not even pre-season training, how is it? But some are returning after their, their pre-season breaks. So let's just just to a, a small section on on transfers because we are still in the window, I suppose. And United, I know they announced probably their two main signings of the summer, but there is that chance of a of a third major signing. So, sorry, Tom Heaton, I'm not counting uh, Heaton there, but the fourth major signing if we include him. Um, what can you tell us, Samuel, about the, the plans for the, the rest of the window? And, and what's your gut feeling about whether that third major signing will come or not between now and, and the end of the month? I'm not as confident on that as I was a week ago or two weeks ago, naturally, because we're we're closer to the deadline. And if if United are able to maintain the form they showed at the weekend, I think everyone's going to be more than sanguine with with the squad they've got. But it, it, it's too big a squad, and it's it's looking like Pereira will will leave permanently, which is really a deal that if if say we come to the end of the window and he's somehow not been sold and that's a failing on United's part. I, I've always been of the mindset that because they've signed Sancho and Varane, who are such good players and such potential game changers this season, that it has been a good window, but it doesn't mean that they can't be failings. And just hearing the way Solskjaer was talking about Lingard at the weekend, how he's got a big part to play. You wonder, do we take him at face value? Because the way Solskjaer is, I mean, on Friday, he was talking up Marshall to high heaven, having started him against Everton, the friendly, and then he benches him against Leeds. You just don't know. So time will tell if what he said about Lingard was a sincere statement or just you know, bravado to keep his resale value high and maintain it because... West Ham, I think, for example, haven't signed a, an outfield player yet so far this summer. So they're bound to be there's bound to be some interest there still. But it, it's, it was the old it's he's been, he'll be like a new signing line, wasn't it, from Zolshar about Martial and, and Lingard, which is a a bit of a tired one. It, it is, and to be honest, I think they need to, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were looking at trying to get Marshall out next year, um, unless he has a tremendous season because. Although that there are going to be some forwards, some senior players that are going to leave next year because they're going to be out of contract and nobody's really expecting them to to renew or um, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily something that you'd encourage United to do to get rid of active actively try and sell another senior player. But Marshall's had two good seasons in six at United. I don't know why some fans give him so much leeway and with the options they've got even with Cavani missing, he's still a squad player and he's been a squad player for quite some time now. So sometimes Solskjaer doesn't do himself favours with the rhetoric he comes out with about certain players. Um, and I remember Ian Ladyman told a great anecdote once about one of a, an old colleague of his who was confronted by the Notts County manager who, who said, oh, your newspaper's full of lies. And she said, well, you're right about that, in fact. And he said, oh, and he was taken aback by it. And he asked her to explain. And she said, um, he said, well, we ask you questions and you lie and it goes in the paper. And it's the, it's the way it works with Solskjaer as well. He's that that is what he's done on a number of occasions. Like the time Marcus Rojo was staying one day, and then the following day he was literally in Argentina, um, about to to head out on loan. So um, yeah, as I said, it's you, you take it with a, a shovel of salt whenever Solskjaer speaks about transfers. Um, he doesn't really give much away and he wasn't discussing the the window when Lingard came up in, in conversation on Saturday either. But it, it was always bound to be quiet post Varane and also they've had to be um they've had to get the Varane deal done over the line. It took a lot longer than expected than a lot longer than 
they they'd hoped as well and uh, in terms of the hold up of it um it, it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility that it could have collapsed as well from from what i gather so it's you know it, it is a disaster averted it's somewhat not that I, i'm ever sure the the whole reasons for it will come out in the in the cold light of day but uh, I, I think it was always bound to be quite quiet after varan um unless there were a collection of poor results that maybe necessitated another signing. But again, if they play like they did against Leeds at Southampton on, on Sunday, then there's not going to be a great clamour for them to go out and, and strengthen the squad, even though I think most people think they need one more significant signing. Yeah, we've probably said it dozens of times on the podcast, Ty, that United do need another signing and, and where that signing should be. We've probably said that as well. That we, we, we all think that maybe they need a midfielder. Um, we know that there has been some interest in Kieran Trippier this window, but that's probably one that that's a 50-50 or maybe even worse as it stands with, with Diogo Dallo still at United and poised to stay if they don't get Trippier. But in terms of a midfielder, it is looking harder and harder for United to, to find this dream target that, that fans talk about. It, it probably isn't realistic to say that's going to happen between now and the end of the window. They could find some some midfielder somewhere else in the in the market maybe if they think outside the box what's your take on it i mean yeah they could but then what what's the point really if you're just filling a squad place to just for, to be seen to be signing a midfielder um if you're going to sign a midfielder sign one that's going to improve the the starting 11 and you know the that that's the sole reason for signing midfielders There's no point signing someone who's going to be on the bench because united do have depth in midfield it, it you know, it depends slightly what formation they play, but if they're sticking with the four-two-three-one, you've got McTominay, Fred, and Matic, uh, Van der Beek, Fernandez, Pogba, the unknown around Lingard. I, I don't see that it's in United's interest or in Lingard's interest to stay, really. But you know, even before that, that's six central midfielders who are all capable of playing for Manchester United in in one way or another. And I don't see the point of adding a squad player to make that seven. The only reason to sign a midfielder is to improve the starting eleven, and it's. It is kind of reaching the point where if top targets aren't available and if it's too late, you just keep your powder dry and, and wait a year, which is as they did with Sancho. I don't think it's so desperate for a midfielder that, well, they're obviously not going to spend 70, 80 million pounds on a midfielder now. I don't see the need just to add someone else to sit on the bench. I think you're far better off waiting and looking what's available next summer. Obviously, next summer we know they're going to need and be in the market for a centre forward. But they've made two major signings this summer. They could make two more next year and sign a central midfielder. A lot will depend on Pogba's future, obviously. Um, but I think you're almost worth keeping your, your powder dry and, and waiting to see what um, what develops next year in, in terms of a central midfielder. Because there's no point, on the evidence of what we've seen on the pitch, there's no point pressing a panic button. That midfield is, is workable. It might be lacking a world-class defensive midfielder, which I think is what everyone wants. But... You know, if we're going horses for courses on formation-wise, then I think it's got enough to to last the season. I don't think I don't think now United can sign a midfielder that would make a difference in a title race. At least I don't think that's very likely. And if that's the case, I don't see the point in doing it. To be honest, I think you're far better off keeping your keeping your wallet closed and uh, saving that money until next year. I think that's a valid point. No one's touched touched upon what you said there. There's there's not. Like I'm not even going to mention the names that have been bombarded. We've been bombarded with, but there isn't there isn't a game changing midfielder out there. Not the level of Sancho or Varane. Yeah. No, yeah, that's what, I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, Pinta Pinta pause there. It's very very dramatic. <laughs> no, it was uh, yeah. It, I was I was waiting for Ty to jump in, but I, I I was going to ask you both a very quick fire question to say to ask 
how many signings will Manchester United make between now and the end of the window? If your gut feeling, if you're going with your gut feeling, zero. I'd probably say zero now. I think two weeks ago I'd have said one more, but the way it's gone, probably, yeah, zero. Oh, that's one to really excite fans at the end of the podcast. <laughs> then hopefully they really they've, had, they've had Sancho and Varane. <laughs> They've had Sancho and Varane, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they've had Varane announced on the pitch and they've had a 5 1 win over Leeds. So it hasn't been hasn't been all bad so far for United fans. Um, I'm sure we can talk about the weekend's game against Southampton on a future podcast later in the week. So we'll leave it there for today. Um, thank you very much, Samuel, and thank you very much, Tyrone. Thank you, Dom. Thank you, Dom. And we'll be back with you for another episode of the Manchester Is Red podcast very soon. Please leave us a like and a subscribe and listen again again very soon. Cheers.